No, you're fucking ready. You're born ready for this show. Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week we talk about our thesis. That is digital hospitality. Every single business needs to be digital first and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. So what exactly does that mean? Our goal is to break down the internet every single week and teach you different techniques, different strategies, different way of living that you can start to embrace smartphone storytelling. So we wanna talk about audio, video, written word, and images. Basically, how do you become a media company? We've been able to build this incredible platform for ourselves as a barbecue restaurant, gain all kinds of different notoriety, develop all kinds of different connections because we're willing to number one, look stupid, number two, publish, number three, do it a little bit better every single day. And by doing that, we started to make connections and we started to build so much awareness for our brand that we never would have otherwise. Every week, if you're new to the show, we bring on somebody that is either in digital marketing, digital hospitality, somebody that's in the restaurant space, somebody that's in self-improvement, somebody basically that we admire, that they are doing things in their life and online, amplifying that message online. We bring them on the show so that we can learn selfishly, but the fact that you're listening to this podcast, you can learn as well. We believe a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, My grandfather taught me to stay curious, get involved and ask for help. You have already, if you're listening to this, if you're listening right now, you already passed up one, that's stay curious. Nobody listens to a podcast. Nobody tries to get better unless you are actually actively doing something. Then you have to get involved. You know, what Brian, our guest that we're going to bring on, what, what he tells us through his story, through his lessons, do something with that information. And then finally ask for help. Um, today's guest, I got to meet through our Meltzer connection. Anybody that follows the show knows that David Meltzer, um, we'll put a link in his for, for him. So you can follow him. He is my media mentor. He's become a close friend. Um, he puts out incredible content, but he also has this ecosystem of a rising tide of people that are trying to make an impact on the world. Um, David had a mutual connection. He said, you know what, Sean, Brian, you guys need to meet. Um, last year before the pandemic, actually, um, Colleen set up a meeting and I met for, I believe it was supposed to be 15 minutes. It probably turned into an hour um, because we vibed right away. And I can't wait for Brian to share his story, um, to embrace all the wisdom um, on you guys. And I'm just going to, I'm going to turn the mic over. So it's at Bogert Brian on, on Instagram and on social Brian Bogert.com Stover and Ian will put links in the show notes, but Brian, dude, welcome to the show. Dude, Sean, it's been a long time coming. And I, you know, it's definitely one of those things through a Meltzer connection. It's almost instant lightning in a bottle. Uh, <laughs> it and, is. And that's certainly what it was with us, right? We jumped on. I love that you said that 15 minutes and it was, it was like an hour and 15 minutes. And, yeah. you know, we just, we were operating at the same vibration, the same frequency. And, and at that point it was just like, how do we, how do we get our circles to collide a little more? And so now it's been almost a year since we talked and yes. we're making it happen. So, you know, that tells me the universe wasn't ready for us until now. So Brother man, like, let, let's do this. I love your intro, by the way. And I just want to hit on a couple of quick things you said, and then I'll jump into my story. Um, everything you said was spot on. Everything you said was spot on. And, and we use the term, we want to be the tide that raises all ships often, right? You know, we're on a mission to impact a billion lives. I'm sure we'll get into that and talk. That's a mutual mission that I share with Meltzer. But what I also love that you said is one of my favorite quotes that really pushed me into a direction here is that the only difference between who you are today and who you'll be five years from now is in the people that you meet and the books that you read. Now, the reality of it is what you just said, that your grandpa taught you to always stay curious. That's what it means. It's not literally the books that you read, although that's part of it. It's what information are you consuming? 
And how are you consuming that regardless of medium and people? Because at the end of the day, it's about perspective and it's about additional knowledge. And it's about the ways that we broaden our own way that we view the world. And that's what all of these things do. And so anybody who's listening to this, I love that you've created a community for people to truly stay curious, lean in and listen and learn because that's what life is all about. So um, that said, man, why don't I jump into some of the lessons I've extracted? We can talk Absolutely. about my story real well, before, fast. Before just... you get into your story, I have yeah. to compliment you. Um, oh, yeah. Because I was on one of my coaching calls with with uh, David just this last weekend. And right before that coaching call, I happened to listen to one of his podcasts where he retold his story. And I've heard his story told across multiple platforms on YouTube, on Instagram, through podcasts, in person. You know, and he has this phenomenal life story. Nice. But this 20 minutes that he retold his story on the podcast was better than I had ever heard him tell it. He went into more depth. He gave more detail. He integrated what he's doing now in his life into his story in ways that I never heard him do. And I had to compliment him on that because it's literally what he teaches. We learn through lessons and stories, but even him as somebody that's bringing all these people together, inspiring other people, motivating other people, showing them the tips and the tools, even he himself is working on his craft. And I have to compliment you because I, in preparation for this podcast, I've been following your content ever since we first spoke. So I follow you on all the different platforms. That's why I was inspired again. Like, dude, I got to get him on the podcast. Got to bring him in to tell a story. And I heard one of your most recent podcast episodes that I can find by searching your name on Apple podcasts. And I'm going through that. I'm like, holy fuck. Like multiple times you, you had me in tears, dude. Like, seriously, you've gotten so good at fucking telling you and it's your story, but it's through those repetitions. And I hope that I hope that anyone's listening to this podcast. I'm going to let you take it from here. But if you're listening to this podcast, even know that somebody that has an incredible story and Brian will tell you it's not just about his story. If you're listening to this podcast, you have a story, but you have to work on that. You know, I was fortunate to be a part of the two minute drill pitching our big idea for our company on David Meltzer's Amazon Prime TV. And. I did okay, but by doing it, it's the act of doing it. Now I have to get better at it. Now the next time I do it, I'll be better at it. And then people go, oh, well, Sean, you're, you're really good at doing that. I'm like, well, I wasn't good when I first started. You get better by doing it. So Brian, yeah. tell us your reps story. Is something, reps is something we'll come back to. Uh, it's funny that you said that though. I mean, if you go back to my YouTube channel and you look at the ones that were released six years ago, <laughs> oh, it's like, it's, like, it's like I'm a different person. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's insane how much reps really do come into, into, into fruition and in our ability to refine who we are and refine the message that we tell and refine who we impact as a result of it. And so like, I agree with you completely. So let me just jump into the story, brother. Yes. So I'm actually going to ask you and everybody who's listening, unless they're driving, of course, to close their eyes for just one second. And I'll tell you when to reopen. I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip and you get to the checkout line and immediately get stalled. You jump into the next line because that's what we do. And you get stalled again. And you do this three or four times until you're stalled a good 10 minutes and you're still not out the checkout line. And you're frustrated, you're getting upset, you have no perspective why. Hold that thought, keep that memory in your brain because we're gonna come back to it. I now want you to imagine a tangential story, successful shopping trip. You go to the store, you breeze through the checkout line. You walk out the door. You've got a little pep in your step because you've got an exciting day ahead of you. You look up, you feel the warmth of the sun on your skin. You feel the breeze through your hair and you're heading to your car. And as you're fumbling for your keys to unlock the car, get on with your day, 
you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And as we were heading back to our car, anybody who's known me for two and a half seconds knows that I've got this excitement, energy, vigor for life. So it wasn't a surprise to anybody. I was the first one in the car. I wanted to get home to be with my dad and put that one-inch paintbrush to use. And as I was standing there waiting for my mom and brother to catch up, who were only a few feet behind, see, this was back in the days before key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to literally pull her keys out, put it in the door, turn it so that we could get on with our way. And as I was standing there waiting for her to catch up and do all this, there was a truck that pulls up in front of the store. And the driver and middle passenger park and get out. And the passenger all the way to the right feels the truck moving backwards. So Sean, he did what any one of us would do. He scooted over to put his phone on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard. And before you know it, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot, right at us with no time to react. Now we're in an end spot. So he goes up and over the median, takes down the tree in the median, hits our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tears my spleen, leaves a tire track scar on my stomach, and continues on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So there I am, I'm laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona, middle of August. My mom and brother watch the whole thing happen. They look up and they see my arm laying 10 feet away. Now, fortunately for me, my guardian angel also saw the whole thing happen. That first story I told you to keep in your brain, the tangential story, that was her. See, she was there and she had a shopping trip and she kept getting delayed. And as soon as she walked out, she knew exactly why. She saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her. And I'm forever indebted to this woman for choosing to turn into action and do something about it versus turn her head away and go on with her day. She came over and she immediately put her hands on the main wound on my arm and stopped the bleeding and she saved my life. She instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice and get my detached limb on ice within minutes to give me a fighting chance of having that limb reattached. Not ever knowing whether or not that would be successful nor whether or not I would use it. So the reality of it is she saved both my life and my limb. And if it wasn't for her, I either wouldn't be here with you today, Sean, or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stomach. That's just the reality. And so I know definitively that I have a very unique story. And we just hit on the very first part of it. But what you also said earlier is one of the big lessons that I want everybody to realize is that the pain that I've been through, the journey and the lessons that I've been through, we all have those stories. We all have those pains. We all have those journeys in our life. So as unique as my story is, we all have unique stories. What's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them into our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. We also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories. Anybody who consumes your podcast is already doing that. Yep. But what do you do with those stories is the real question. So I'm going to share with you two primary life lessons that I have, and then we'll just riff and see where it goes, brother. Perfect. The first is I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. And the second, I didn't realize until far later in life. You see, at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, although I was the one having surgeries, although I was the one going through surgery, although I was the one that everybody stared at all the time, right? I was also kind of in a fog because I was being guided through the process by my parents. And it's never lost on me the power of having community and family and close friends around you to help you on your own journey. Oh, see, my parents, they were not in a fog. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy, and the idea of seeing their youngest son grow up with the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. Yeah. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, to do what was tough, to embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether it was intentional or not, what they did was they ingrained in me really one of my life missions, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And I believe that when this is done correctly, that's also where we gain freedom. So it's these concepts that I use to not only overcome this unique injury, 
how my business partners and I scaled our last business to over 15 million within the span of a decade, and now how we flipped it on its head in the personal development world of the human behavior and performance coach to help individuals and organizations just like you, just like the people listening, the whole world, frankly, become more aware and more intentional so they can become who they already are, their most authentic selves. I believe that's when the door starts to crack to perspective, motivation, and direction. That's when we can bring joy, freedom, and fulfillment holistically into our worlds. And that's why all of our entities are on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2045. Because I believe if we reduce the level of suffering on this planet, we allow people to understand the pains that are necessary to embrace on their path to success. We allow them to connect to the purpose that's big enough to overtake those pains. Then that's when people can allow vulnerability and authenticity, which are the glue that binds human connection to be back in the forefront and know that they can stand on their own two feet, not just confident in who they are, but convicted in who they are knowing that the world won't just accept them, but will embrace them for who they are. I believe this is what's going to make the world a better place for my kids and my grandkids. I love the fact in your content, in your story, you're talking about embracing pain because so much of life is avoiding pain. Yeah, it's it avoiding the topic of pain, avoiding the topic of suffering, pretending. I actually heard this term the other day um, by Anthony Frisella about toxic positivity, mm -hmm. which I hadn't heard put in that way. But as somebody that is optimistic, that is positive all the time, there is a level of problem that comes out when you start to just ignore the elephant in the room, 100%. not dealing with the pain, not dealing with the problem. As somebody that goes to therapy once a week to work on being a better husband, being a better father, being a better leader, as somebody that's a recovering alcoholic that is in sobriety, that's working with my sponsor, that's going through the steps, like there's so much work that I have to do to be a better person. No doubt. But so much of that work is doing an inventory on my character defects. It's like if I don't do an inventory of my character defects and, if, and start to address who I am and what am I doing in my own marriage, then how can I possibly be a better husband? Because I can't be a better father. Like being a father, it seems is such an easier path than addressing being a better husband. Oh, 100%. Because it's just, it's just natural. Like, I, oh, I want to be a great dad. But yeah. like being a better husband, we very rarely address that. Can you talk a little bit about your story and of, of marriage? Yeah, I laugh because, dude, uh, the, nothing worthwhile in this world comes easy, right? Marriage <laughs> no. included. Yes. And, uh, you know, you can have a beautiful partnership, a beautiful marriage, but still have stuff that needs to be focused on and worked on. Yeah. Right. And so I will tell you, I'm blessed because I've got a, an incredible partner. Um, you know, she, she is my greatest coach, mentor, confident friend that I will ever have, right? She, I get 100% credit for what's 50% mine because she truly completes me. And a lot of the thoughts that are communicated externally is really a byproduct of the way that we view the world collectively. And so I have to give that credit when I say that because I'm very blessed. We're going on 15 years together, 11 years of marriage. Um, and I, I, you know, I, won't, I won't go through all the depths of our journey because it, it, it is, it's a powerful one, but I'll, I'll just talk most recently right? About something that really took place that is very raw, very real, but took a lot of work. Um, and before I go into the story, I want to just say, I think it's interesting because even what you just talked about goes to the whole concept that we believe in is that everything begins and starts, everything begins and ends with you, right? Yeah. Always, always, always. If there's a problem in a relationship, a problem with a kid, a problem with a business deal, look at yourself first. Because more often than not, there's going to be something that you're contributing to, the, to, to that dynamic even if it's not your fault, it might be your responsibility. So yeah. pay attention to those things because it's important. 
Um, my wife and I recently, so I've done a lot of work, dude, I was, I was bridled by shame for a long time in a way that really impacted everything and how I operated in the world, in my business in philanthropy with my wife, with my kids. And, you know, I started to do the work on this shame six, seven years ago and really unpack it with a really escalated focus on it in the last few. Um, and obviously, as I progress more into this world, the more I continue to focus on myself first, always, because if I'm not solid, if I'm not living by the way that I preach, like, then who the hell am I? Correct. Like the one thing I will never do in this space is be anything other than 100% authentic, 100% vulnerable. And yep. I will never be a fraud saying that I do something and then I, my actual life is different. Correct. So being a husband, and we, father, we live in a world, we can't embrace what we talk about this smartphone storytelling, this content create, like you can't live two lives. I love like, it, there's no business life and personal. It's one life. It's one well, fucking life. hundred percent. I don't believe in work-life balance. That's I believe it. in work-life integration. It's one life. Yes. Yes. Right? So I life. believe a holy in building a life that is intentionally built in alignment. So it can become self-regulated, which right? includes so, vulnerability, which includes the warts 100%, and scars. hundred percent. And here, yeah, hundred percent. And here's the thing. Just because we've had said vulnerability three or four times, true strength actually hides behind vulnerability, right? So we'll come back to that. But, yep. but I will tell you that recently, right? So I am committing the rest of my life to helping people discover who they are and realign their lives based on who they are, who they're doing this for, and who they're impacting. That's what I believe to my core. March 4th, 5th, and 6th of this year, my wife... And I would have both said that we were in the best place in our marriage we've ever been. And it would have been true. It was true. We've been doing marriage counseling for five, six years um, just to be proactive. And so marriage counseling us. together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because my wife and I, we tried marriage counseling together. And then we found that we both needed to work on our own selves well, before we even address getting to getting together. So by the way, we both do mutual work outside of our, okay. our joint sessions. So hundred percent agree with that, but where the yep. joint sessions come into play is where we are not seeing where we're miscommunicating yep. and how we're like missing blocks with each other. Right. Yep. Also to have a greater degree of empathy and compassion. So point in saying that though, is like, we put in a lot of work. We've made a lot of progress, right? And March 4th, 5th and 6th, legitimately, like we were unbelievably happy saying it was the best place. And then we went away for a weekend and we unpacked a couple things that like didn't seem like that meaningful, but really they were. There was something that was there for years that neither one of us could put our finger on. And all of a sudden it brought, was brought to light. Now that didn't end up being the issue, but it was what was covering the issue. Yeah. And so once we did that, it was about a month of unpacking that. And it ended up not being that big of a deal. But what it did was put me into an extremely vulnerable place emotionally. It made me feel like there was stuff going on and I couldn't even talk about it. But we started really unpacking this and counseling and with each other over the course of a month, April 4th, 5th, and 6th, about, my wife sat down with me and went on to essentially tell me that things that I had done in our marriage 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, had created patterns and conditioning in our relationship that had contributed to her losing who she was. I'm committing my whole life to helping other people discover who they are. And the person that's closest to me had lost who they were because of me. Now, was it hundred percent my fault? No. Did I contribute to it? Absolutely. Did the triggers that were embedded in there were any of those my fault? No, but they were my responsibility. But what she was getting at was the fact that there was an element of temper and an element of control that had come in. Now the control was truly just a misunderstanding of intent. And we yeah. were able to unpack that. And that was like, not even an issue for more than a few minutes when we actually talked about it. But the temper was still there. And I started to realize like, okay, 
one, I have to accept that. I have to be aware of it and I have to own it real time. I'm a husband and father first. Yes. And nothing about impacting a billion lives matters unless those three people in my house are good. 100%. And I didn't realize how not good she was and how much damage I had created. Right. Because it's easy. It's easy for us to fall in. Like for people that are high performers, anybody that's listening to this podcast, anybody that's a leader, wants to be a leader, wants to be a better leader. The people closest to us are the ones that are the most vulnerable 100%. for our ambition. 100%. And I will also say that the interesting thing about it is we were in a great place in our marriage. It's yeah. not like I was this rage head that created all these problems, but there was these subtleties that were rooted in emotional triggers, behavioral patterning, and environmental conditioning that we spent the time unpacking. Over the course of the next 10 days, it became very clear to me that it wasn't just a temper. I had been angry for a long time. And I'm talking anger buried so deep, brother, it could barely be excavated. Yeah. Right. And you, you take not just like a little temper and you compound that with anger. And then you take someone like myself that has a giant personality and a very strong energy my ability to infuse life into people, yes. I know is, is, is one of the best, right? Yep. Guess what? You flip that in reverse and the ability to tear someone down, even without using words, can still exist just with an energetic transfer. For sure. Right? 100%. And so I had to really do work. I handed my phone over to my wife right in that moment. I handed it to her and I said, I need 10 days. I need you to get with my team, clear everything off my calendar, my clients, everything. I don't care if it's a paid gig, with the exception of one thing. It was the first time in April that we were going to speak in a marriage retreat together at a mastermind. Oh, wow. And four days after we unpacked the anger, we went and spoke and Did we were vulnerable and we were raw and we just owned where we were. And we were like, guys, we don't know what's going to happen because in that moment, I didn't know if the damage was too great to repair. Yeah. And I didn't know if I'd still be married for another month, let alone another year. But I was confident in that moment that if I had 10 days to unpack what I do, my inside out process, understand the triggers, do the work, understand the rooting, start moving through it, that I could redirect the, the energy in our house. So I told my wife in that moment, I promised her that I would do everything in my power to make sure that we didn't ever feel the effects of anger in our house again. And I'm proud to say uh, four months later, it's happened only one time and in a really minute way. Yeah. Now, what happened is I believe, right, we are all hardwired to feel safe, to feel protected, and they're not the same thing to feel seen and understood and to feel connected, right? My anger was rooted in my shame and this would manifest in our relationship with things as simple and neutral as a comment, my wife saying like, hey, are you gonna hang out with our son this weekend? Nothing behind it, just like, hey, are you gonna create any intentional plans? Not assuming that I wasn't a good dad, not assuming I wasn't a good father, but my shame, knowing that husband and father is my greatest role, would hear that through the lens of like, you're not doing enough to be a good husband and father, you need to spend time with your kids Correct. this weekend. Correct. And so instead I would get anger and I would get defensive and I'd respond back with a tone, like rattling off all the 10 things I'd done in the last four days to prove I'm a good husband and father. When in reality, it had nothing to fucking do with what she asked me. That was my own trigger. And then guess what? I would trigger hers because she has a hardwired desire to feel safe. And when I get angry, it makes her feel unsafe. Well, how is she going to connect with me if I'm contributing that into our relationship? Correct. I can give you 50 other examples, but the point is we unpacked the work. We did the work and we're sitting here on the other side. She called me two weeks ago in tears and she's like, look, I'm convinced it was any other man. Like I'd be divorced right now. And she said, I'm like so grateful for what we've done because guess what? Once she could feel safe, protected, seen and understood and connected. And I could create a soft space for her to land emotionally, which she'd felt safety and security financially, physically, yep. spiritually, in every other way. But emotionally, I didn't give it to her because she didn't trust based on the temper and anger that was inside of me. Yeah. I had to diffuse that, not shut it off, 
feel it, understand it, unpack it, and work through it to understand where I'm being triggered. How does that trigger move through my body? What are the triggers that are putting me into a place where I'm either energetically feeling the anger or rage, or I'm doing something else? We set up all these systems of communication to make sure that we can both work on it. But guess what? Once she felt those four things, she started doing even more work on herself, which brought her even closer to me. And what's interesting is like vulnerability is something we talked about leading into this thing. But what's crazy is we all desire intimacy and a strong connection with our partners. Yes. Intimacy is rooted in vulnerability and surrender. And if we don't get ourselves to a place where we ourselves or our partners can feel safe, protected, seen and understood and connected, which truly has to do with us unpacking and understanding our emotional triggers and how they feed off each other. If we can't get there, we're never going to have the level of intimacy that we desire with our partners. I mean, I, I find it incredible, especially, you know, recently with the work that I've been doing to become a better husband and to start to understand my wife more, you know, my therapist and I were talking about the love languages and just yeah. how people express different types of love. You know, yeah. some people express they want gifts like that is the form. The best form of love is if you get them a nice piece of jewelry. Other people, it's like spend quality time. I don't give a shit about material things. I just want to spend quality time. Right. Other people, it's words of affection. What are the words of affection? Tell me that you love me. Tell me that you appreciate me. And like, there's these five different languages. And what I hadn't realized until I started doing the work was my wife and I were speaking different languages, That's right? Literally, like she wants quality time. That's all she wants from me. What do I want from hers? I want words of affection. So yep. when she says things like she doesn't acknowledge all the things that I do well, but she'll always tell me the things that I don't do well. So which that is puts how me, I felt it in my house. So right? it triggered my shame constantly, which is what you're <laughs> it's, saying. It's exactly right. Like, yeah. all I want her to do is tell me she's proud of me, that she's like, this is great. I can see the path that we're on. You know, keep doing great with the barbecue restaurant. Keep doing good with media. But none of those things were manifesting. It was always, okay, well, you don't do the dishes. Okay, then I help do the dishes. And then what does she say? She goes, oh, well, you forgot to take the trash out. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what about I did the dishes? Well, now you're supposed to do the dishes. So it's like, but we're going back and forth as husband and wife, not acknowledging literally the, the elephant in the room, the, right. the thing that is the love language, the communication, the big unlock. And so much of what my therapist says is she works with couples. She's been doing it for, you know, two decades and 90%, if not more than 90% of the fear from women is a fear of being left alone. And yeah. that manifests itself in so many different ways. It does. It does. Because and that's that's a super powerful statement. The thing I want to acknowledge, though, is understanding how to love and care for your partner, not just caring about them, but caring yes. for them is a major difference. Thank right? you. And, and so love language is kind of what you're saying is that's how you demonstrate love is how you care for them based on the way they receive love. Yes. I think it's equally, if not more important, though, to understand where the resistance and energy drain or, or conflict comes from in relationships. And more often than not, that's rooted in the emotional triggers that the other person has had that have manifested in their life that, again, are not your fault, but you need to become aware of them so they can become your responsibility, right? So I know that my wife does not like to be around heightened anger or energy. But anytime I do that, it makes her feel unsafe because that's, by the way, a trigger for her is the desire to feel physically and emotionally safe. Well, I'm a man with a giant energy. If I get upset about something, I put off a giant energy that can be scary. Right. And, and that's not even without screaming or being just my energy alone, Correct, which puts her into a place of being defensive and scared. Yep. Which if I'm being a good husband, would I ever do anything to make my wife feel anything other than safe and protected? No. Correct. But I've done it multiple times in 14 years. And so we need to understand not just how to show love, 
but how to avoid the triggers so that we can demonstrate how we care for them by how we can be delicate and give them a soft place to land, even in the areas that were not our fault, but we assumed as our responsibility when we decided to do life with them. Yes. And that is so critically important. But then when you do that, right, caring for your partner really does lead to different levels of connecting with them, right? So like for me, I'm words of affection and physical touch. And I don't just mean that sexually, right? Yeah. Like genuinely, right. like if my wife touches my arm while we're driving, I feel her love. Yes. Right. And by the way, my wife also has physical touch, but that wasn't something that was apparent because her emotional place wasn't safe enough for her to be surrendering, to be physically intimate with me. And I don't mean that sexually again, sexually right. it's increased, increased, but like things as little as I want to just rub her feet or her legs to take care of her. Cause that feels good to her. Yeah. If she didn't have the emotional safety, I couldn't do something for her from a physical touch standpoint that would allow her to relax because she's on edge expecting some transfer of energy. That's not positive. Right. She had to learn to trust that she has a soft place to land. And then I can demonstrate and care for her in the ways that she needs to receive it because I've been able to avoid the landmines with her triggers. Yes. It's both. That's why I wanted to come back to that because that point well, is it's, phenomenal, but we got to understand it, both. It's even, it's even more exponential once you realize how hard as men we try to be a good father. Yeah. By being a better husband, you're literally teaching your children how Correct. to love a woman. Correct. I always say in the they're learning it's, from it's your it's energy first. They're, they're literally learning from your energy that you're 100%. giving off. Well, they, they learn from your energy and they also learn from your interactions and the example that you set in anything, right? Yeah. So my wife and I, the philosophy we have in our house is it's us first, meaning like as individuals, me yeah. and my wife, right? She needs to focus on her first. If we do that first and we're both good and strong, then we focus on our marriage second. Correct. As much as that's counterintuitive for so many people, it's like, oh, well, our kids, no, marriage second. Because if yes. we're strong, we're aligned, we understand it, then we know we can be there together for our kids versus divided for our kids. Right. My 100%. wife is always afraid that she's not going to know what to do with something, but she sees everything. I'm afraid that I'm not going to see everything, but I always know what to do with it. Guess what? When we can actually surrender to the fact that we leverage ourselves to be better parents together. That means it's even more important for us to focus on our relationship together. Yes. But that's exactly right. Person first, marriage second, kids third. And oh, by the way, then they see your example, your energy exchange. They see us have disagreements and they see the repair right? They see when I've reacted bad in those moments or mom has, and we repair with them, yeah. right? Damage will be created. It's all in the repair that demonstrates our ability to move forward. Yeah. It's uh, I've shared on the podcast before, but the first therapist before this current therapist, she told me a story that I'll, I'll never forget. And was one of the most powerful things ever. And she just asked me, you know, when you go and you're traveling on a plane and they're going through the safety instructions and you're traveling with children at the time i didn't have children but they said she said you know what do they tell you um to do when the oxygen mask comes down and i'm like mm, they you know what do you do as a man you want to protect your children so i put the mask on them well no they tell you put the mask on yourself put the oxygen mask yep. on yourself first because if you're if you don't have any oxygen if you can't breathe you're worthless to your to the ones that you love that's exactly and like, right it's just a huge metaphor for huge. what what we all need to do is focus on self. Like it's so hard because we want to be selfless, but you have to be selfish. Yeah. Like literally, if you truly want to be selfless, you have to be selfish. Yeah. I always say focusing on yourself is the least selfish thing you can do. 
Yes, there you go. Right. And and the problem is that that's not the narratives of the world, right? The narratives no. of the world are also what screw us up in all of this stuff, whether it be yeah. with pain, whether it be with perspective, whether it be with like success and how we chase it, whether it be with emotional triggers, whether, I mean, truly, like the external narratives have gotten so loud for so many of us that it drowns out our internal narratives. I would the voices love- of the world are truly louder than our internal voice. And like, we cannot have that happen if we truly want to get back control or influence over our paths and destinies. I would love for you to talk about um, chronic pain. Yeah, yeah. And suffering. So, yeah, no, well, and we'll hit this quick. Speaking of, speaking, deeper, of na- speaking of narratives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, the narrative of the world is to avoid, reduce, or eliminate pain, right? You even said it in the beginning. It's like, and that's our natural tendency. And the thing is, is pain gets lots of attention because we're aware of it. We feel it. It's right up front. But the thing about pain is that like, we can't really draw any definitive conclusions about it with the exception of one, because pain is independent to the person experiencing it. So we can't even measure pain in a relative perspective other than one thing. We all experience pain, but we need to better understand pain. So pain is defined as short-term intermittent and direct cause from something then alleviated once that direct cause is removed. And then because of narratives of the world, what we do with everything is we screw it up and we put adjectives in front of it, which inherently changes the definition. Acute maintains it, but chronic, which is where you were leading, chronic pain changes the definition because it implies it's no longer short-term and it persists after that direct cause is removed. So let's stop calling that chronic pain. It's not pain, it's suffering. We don't want to admit that suffering exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. And suffering often creeps up on us as we adapt to it more and more over time, sometimes until its effects are irreversible. I, I, unavoidable- I'm, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for acknowledging, and I haven't heard anybody talk about suffering the way that you do, and I'm so happy that you do, because oh, it you. is a universal condition that has, happened, that has happened since the beginning of humanity, yet no one addresses suffering outside of major religions. Like, yeah. we just don't talk about suffering. We don't, and, we, and, it's, and, a, it's, and it's a fact And we of don't life. embrace pain. Yeah. We avoid pain. And that's the whole narrative, embrace pain to avoid suffering. But that's exactly the point. Here's the thing, suffering exists on a massive level. And I think that the root of all suffering is really based in a few basic things. It's what's left unsaid, what people don't feel permission to feel or say, what they lack the words to say, or what's left undone. There's four areas that root suffering in some way that develop suffering. Now, suffering can look like multiple different things. And we'll talk about that in a second. But what we need to know is that the unavoidable precursor to change is acceptance. So to alter the future and state of things, we must accept the current reality. So we have to pay attention to that. So this concept is relatively simple. I'll give four examples here. Anybody who's listened to me before has probably heard many of these, but we can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains of a sedentary lifestyle and not being able to play with our grandkids well into our 70s. We can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with a loved one or spouse to avoid the suffering of being stuck in a loveless marriage that's going to end in divorce or being stuck in a marriage when you actually want divorce. We can embrace the pain of the fit our kids are sure to throw by having them put down their mobile devices at the dinner table to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and conversation we'll never get back. As business owners, we can embrace the pain of firing our top salesperson who's contributing the most to top line growth to avoid the suffering of stagnant growth and losing all our other top talent because they were the greatest cancer in our culture. You see, the thing is, is this applies in every category in life and it's rooted in three basic steps. We can unpack them or not, but we need to start by understanding and acknowledging the suffering that we wish to avoid. What most people do in goal setting and planning is just, where do I want to go? And most of the time people (laughs) protect themselves in that and they do shitty goal planning because they protect themselves by setting goals they know they're going to hit. Like, let's think bigger in that. But 
let's look at both sides of the same coin, because if we're going to go to that effort, we need to understand our bookends and the chapter of life that we're writing. Yes. Right. What is suffering? What do we truly want to avoid? Then we need to identify the pains that we tend to avoid and learn to embrace them. And then we have to establish this a habit in all areas of our lives. And I can go deeper on all of those, but here's the thing, Sean, I believe that we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. I'd rather be in control. Yes. Proactive versus reactive. So one of the, your most recent Instagram posts, you took an entire month, the month of July, mm -hmm. which is amazing because I also took the entire month of July to spend in the village with my wife in Bulgaria. And I still did my work. I still was able to podcast. I still was able to attend Zoom meetings. I still was able to be digitally connected, but also digitally removed. I was able yeah. to be in the garden with my son, you know, enjoying a fresh cucumber and then watching my daughter run up and enjoy a fresh tomato and tell me how excited they were learning how to speak Bulgarian, learning how to talk to their grandparents, um, you know, truly enjoying that and knowing that my business was actually better. You know, my restaurant, my team running my restaurant, you know, all the people at Cali Barbecue, all the people at Cali Barbecue Media, just doing incredible work without me there, micromanaging every step of the way. But it's back to what we talked about before, not the difference of this is my work life. This is my personal life. This is one life. One life. That's why right. did you why did you why did you put yourself in that uncomfortable position? Why did you do that test? So I put myself in uncomfortable positions all the time to apply. The <laughs> so do I. So I think I think the question on why is like why not, right? For me, yeah, it's, like, it's, better, it's why. Yes, the answer is yes. You know, okay, and, I'll do that. And, and, and I look at discomfort as like the five k to pains marathon, right? <laughs> so like I look at these little things that aren't that tough. Like when I unpacked all this anger and trouble in my house and my wife, like yeah. traveling with them for a month on the road while working was really pale in comparison in terms of how correct, correct. But, but why I did it truthfully is because I spent you know I spent fifteen years in the corporate world. Right. And when I say the corporate world, it's because I also had a very rigid view of like nine to five. And I don't mean nine to five because that's all I worked. I mean, I worked crazy hours trying to build yeah. it. But my point is, is like I expected that that's Everybody how the did. world externally worked. And it was yeah. like, oh, so if I work Monday to Friday and I do these things in structure, then I can spend time with my family on the weekends and I can do this. And I integrated it as effectively as I could, given the role in the business that I was in. I did. Right. But over the last 18 months, as we've developed and moved out of that, executed the buy, sell, done the things that we've been doing really to go have an impact on the world, I've realized like I have way more control and influence over my time than I ever imagined. Yeah. And it allows me to truly be flexible, not just on weekends, but consistently every day, right? I never took my kids consistently to school, but I take my son to school every morning now. Yep. It's a part of my routine. It's a part of my day right? When I'm traveling on events now that I'm gone for a weekend, I start picking my kids up in the afternoon. I end my day at three because I'm heavy loaded in a three-day experience that I'm not going to see that I'm not going to touch. And the reason I say all this is this is why I tried this in July, because I know now that I'm on the more road now more than I was in my prior life. Cause I learned and built my business around not having to travel. Yeah. But in this case, I'm going to travel and I don't mind that, but I want to take them with me wherever possible. Correct. And particularly in the summer times when my kids aren't in school. My wife is a part of the business. She runs all of administration. She leads a lot of our teams. Like she's in it. So it's like for her and I, we're building this together at this point, which by the way, didn't happen until I unpacked the anger. She had no desire to touch or be a part of the business. And now that our relationship <laughs> is strong, she's like, let's go build this together. I love But that. we did this in July because I was in six different cities over the course of the month. They were with me in four of them. Very Three of cool. them, four of them. Yeah, four of yeah. them. And, and they went, you know, so we did like a two week stay with our fifth wheel that that was like the landing page. And I left two days to travel and come back, but they were there for two weeks. And I was there for the majority of the two weeks with them. 
Um, and then we were, you know, in, we hit multiple other spots. We ended up getting an Airbnb. You weren't in San Diego. Otherwise we would have hooked up. Oh yeah, definitely. Balboa Park for 10 days with them. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in July. Oh yeah. I was in Bulgaria. That's right. You were in Bulgaria. So we'll hook up next time I'm there, but we were there. And the point was like my wife and kids got to experience Southern California while I had four days that I had full of meetings in those 10 day window, but I got to repurpose all that other time. Yeah. And really do things with them and integrate life. And it was one of the best ones we've had. Was it challenging? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Was it, was it difficult when we're in a smaller Airbnb and I don't have a designated office? Here's the lesson I learned from it. I didn't feel the need to have a co-working access space. And my office here is what works. And my team is all across the country. So we don't have a physical location right now. Yeah. So I learned that working out of coffee shops is not ideal for me. Correct. Right. I haven't had to do that in well over a year and it wasn't ideal. So the one that you saw was truly, I was in the back corner of this coffee shop yep. and I ran meetings all day and I got kicked out at three o'clock because they closed and I didn't even know they closed. I was in the middle of meetings and I'm like in the middle of a zoom and I'm like, uh, hold on. Hold right? on. So, but what I learned is we can do it. We yes. can take my family on the road with me. We can integrate it and they want to be a part of it. That week, my son and I were sitting on the patio out in Balboa Park and my son, right? Knowing what I do and being around it, says, dad, I've got a thought I want to unpack with you. Out of nowhere, he says this. We're sitting on the patio in Balboa Park. Yeah, cool, buddy. What is that? He goes, you know, I just, and he's seven, just for the record. He goes, everybody's got stuff that we know and we see. Like everybody's hardwired with certain things that we understand. Like everybody's got a brain, everybody's got a heart. We all have our guts that we know. And he's like, and we've got our lungs that we breathe through. This is literally what he says. I was like, yeah, buddy. And he goes, but you know what? He said, that's all the stuff that we know. But he said, I've also realized that everybody like, has this other thing that's just a lot harder to put our finger on, a lot harder to pull out. Yeah, what is that, buddy? He goes, our own unique ability to be awesome, dad. And, <laughs> and I was like, buddy, like, that's awesome. Like, first of all, I don't know where you heard the word ecosystem. Like, he, <laughs> he wants to unpack a thought process with me. Right? right. And then we have this whole conversation and he turns around and he goes, dad, I think it's time I joined the, the family business. No way. Right. And like, while we're traveling on the road, my he said that like, in Balboa park, that's oh, yeah. so in rad. Park, we're sitting on the back patio in this house and he goes, dad, I think it's time to join the family business. Right. What that told me though, is that they also, the kids see and feel the difference. Yeah. Being able to be around it all, you well, know, they, in my they, old world, they didn't know my work life today. You they didn't like, give no, them access. Now they have it. access. Yep. Like, you know, now they feel like part of the process. They were literally, it's crazy to think like when you're putting out content, when you're, high performing you're the people closest to you are the furthest removed they are like literally you know as like as somebody that podcasts we have people that listen all over the globe and we're so fortunate that people tune in and they follow our content and yeah. they interact with us and they tell us about their businesses and what they're doing but it's like the people that are closest to us you know i'm trying to do the same thing with my wife now that she's yeah. finally coming back to work it's you know we're creating content together figuring out ways because yeah. i don't want to go and do speaking gigs unless they're unless they're with me yeah, hundred uh, like percent. Literally, I, I, don't, I just don't want to. Yes. I'm not interested in it. Will I? Yes, but will it be better if I can take them with me? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And so, you know, my wife is coming on a first trip, first actual business trip without the kids in uh, for an event I'm speaking at in Vegas in a month and a half. That's she's amazing. coming. She's with our team. We got an Airbnb for our whole team that's going to be there. We're all going to be there together. Like she's a part of it now. But what you just said, I want to hit on too because this is crazy important. My wife never said this to me, but what became very apparent to me when she told me that I contributed to losing, helping like make her lose who she was, is that I'm out here coaching individuals, working with people to elevate and empower them to become who they are. 
helping heal other people, helping work through the challenges and the pains in other people's lives, literally taking business owners and helping multiply their businesses, their relationships, their health, like through doing this deep work, yeah. which she's all up in of, sees it, understands it, believes it. But how do you think she felt? Correct. You think she felt like a priority in my world when there was clearly problems that I was helping others solve in their world that we weren't addressing in our own? And part of it was because I was blind to it. And I'm not going to say that as an excuse. It's the truth. I was blind to it. Yeah. And so I couldn't be intentional with it. And it wasn't my fault until I was aware of it. But the second I'm aware of it, it's not only my responsibility, but any damage created from that point forward is also my fault. Yeah. And so I was able to really flip this on its head. Part of when I handed my phone over to my wife for 10 days, I ended up getting a second phone that week. This phone is the only phone, sorry, is the number. She's the only person on the planet that has access to it. She's the only person, she has a direct line to me. It's not mm -hmm. on my main cell phone. It's 100%. I don't have to weed through the noise, the 50 to 100 text messages that I get every couple of yeah. hours, right? I don't have to weed through all the social, all the emails. My wife knows she can get a hold of me. It's the bad right phone. Right here, always, not even having to weed through it. And without any hesitation on that, that's good. Plus, now that I'm with my family, I can take this phone that's not hers that everybody else has. And when I'm with them, I swap my wallet over. I now have a phone if I need to call her or be in an emergency, but I shut off the outside world so that my family knows they are where my, that I am where my feet are and they are my priority when I'm not in my office. I love that. Everyone needs a bat phone. I never believed in it until now. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, it's changed my relationship because my wife, oh, by the way, and it's fun too, because she knows nobody else has access to this phone. So this phone, we text a lot of fun stuff back and yeah. forth. Right? <laughs> Right. And it's just a beautiful thing. And she has an alter ego now for her role within the business and in the business. So when I have business stuff, I text her from this phone. Yeah. When I have personal stuff, I text her from this phone. It allows us to create boundaries around the roles that we play for each other, understanding that like we're going to pivot between multiples and being okay, recognizing when it's work mode, when it's relationship mode, when it's parent mode, when it's relaxed mode, when it's personal mode. And we have to communicate openly about that so that she can feel like a priority, like everything else in my life. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, it's one of the things that we talk about all the time on this podcast is just understanding that the smartphone, it, it does so many things and we have to unpack all of the amazing tools that it has, but also all the barriers that come with it. You know, there's so many opportunities that anybody that's listening, I mean, you're probably listening to this podcast because of that smartphone. It's literally probably Bluetooth through, you know, through your car or through your house, but it's also something that if you don't address the things like the personal relationships yeah. as a husband, as a father, as a leader, how do you interact with people on that platform? And I need to do a better job of it myself. You know, it's understanding, it's understanding where our strengths are and understanding where our weaknesses right. are. Um, before I let you go, uh, give our audience just some, uh, something, some practical advice that they can take away, um, something that they can do today. So you know, stay curious, get involved, ask for help. What, um, you know, my grandfather, it's one of the craziest things when I was traveling with him, I was very fortunate to help him write his life story, his autobiography, spent three years doing it, traveling to Bulgaria, traveling to Germany, where he went to medical school. And we went to all these incredible places. And I was young, you know, I was 21, uh, 22 years old, and I could never understand why every time we went to Notre Dame, or we went to Paris, or we went to, you know, Spain, wherever we were, he always whatever tour we were on, he had to be the first person on the bus, he had to be sitting next to the tour guide, he had to pull every brochure. 
and he was always asking questions. Awesome. I was like, why are you doing that? Like you're, you know, you're, you're holding up the group, but he was so curious for knowledge and he wanted to apply that knowledge he wanted. And ultimately now having spent that time with him, it wasn't for him. It was for me. Yeah. You know, it was for me. And the question is, if you're listening to this podcast, it's for you, you just gave me but it's soul. not only for you, it's for the people that are closest to you in your life. hundred percent. So I'm going to, I'm going to riff real quick on two basic things. I'll make this fast and hard hitting. Um, you know, you've probably heard me talk about this concept, who, before, what, right? The world conditions us to chase the, what, what house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, what business, what industry, what partner, you name it. Right. And I did that. And I got along. And I woke up one day running with people making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures in some cases. So many people who'd accomplished the what's of the world. And I looked around and realized that myself included, so many of us were miserable. We weren't actually aligning with who we were because the world told us who we were and we forgot who we were before the world told us that. And so when we started to realign, I started to realign back to the who. What I started to realize is all that really matters is the who's in our world, right? Who am I? Who am I doing this for? Who am I trying to impact? And when we realign based on the who, we put who before what, then really all the what's in our life become a manifestation of who. It's no different in business, right? Put people before profits. Yep. Profits and what are both critically important. I'm not saying who, not what. I'm not saying people, not profits. I'm saying people and who before profits, before what. And when we do this, again, all the what's in our world become a manifestation of who we are. So the first thing, and this is where it's going to get tactical for one second, just a simple tip, this tip that someone can do today. If you don't know who you are, you don't know who you authentically are, you don't know what lights you up, make two lists. It's very simple. One list over here. What are the things, people, and sources of information in your world that leave you feeling uplifted, that leave you feeling energized, that leave you feeling worthy, that you get into flow state and in eight hours can go by by one that you like wanna get out of bed for it, that you wanna share it with the world, that you're proud and you just have this energy. Make that list. We all know what those things are. We all know who those people are. We all know what those things are. Pay attention to them. On the counter list, things, people, sources of information that leave you feeling depleted, defeated, unworthy, yep. where eight hours feels like one and you just can't wait to get your done, day done. That leaves you feeling absolutely fatigued and miserable and not feeling like you wanna go back to the fight. We all know what these things are. But what most people don't do is they just accept that these things have to stay there because it's the world has told us, well, it's just life. Just deal with it. Just shove our shit down and show up and smile. Right. To your yeah. point on like the, the unhealthy, toxic, toxic, toxic positivity, right. Yeah. That's where the narrative comes from is shove it down, show up and put a smile on your face. Right. Yeah. But pay attention to this list and go through a systematic process of eliminating as many people, things, or sources of information that bring negativity into your world. If you want to understand where resistance and energy drain takes place in your relationship, in your health, in your business, pay attention to these things because they're likely rooted in emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. It's not about strategy and tactics. So if you just make those two lists after you listen to this today and you move more things to the positive list and eliminate stuff from the negative, you're already taking positive steps to become more who you are. And here's the thing. Once you do that, you will become a moved individual and moved mm -hmm. people move people. Yeah. So just help perpetuate the message because I'm asking for all of your help in doing this. Cause the only way to get to a billion is collectively. Correct. Yeah. We, uh, I was on a coaching call with Meltzer, but he brought in Mike Mamula, his business partner. Oh yeah. Mike's great. Dude. Yeah. Mike's phenomenal, but he shared a story about, um, an old man that he met and he, he told him the, the key to life was to surround yourself with people that will pull, will, will actually help you pull the wagon. Correct. Don't surround yourself with people that will push your wagon down yep. and make it more harder for you. 
surround yourself with people that will actually pick up the wagon and help you right. take it up the hill. That's exactly Those right. are the people that you need to surround yourself with. Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, we are part of that wagon. We're part of that rising tide. Brian, um, we're going to put links to all your uh, social handles so people can connect with you, your website. Um, hopefully, people are fortunate enough to, to connect with you on a deeper level so that they get involved, um, ask for help contextualize what you've heard um, to your story. I know Brian's very gracious with his time. Uh, you know, you can always reach out to me at Sean P. Walchef on all the social platforms, Sean at CaliBBQ.media. Uh, we are getting close to launching our second podcast, um, which is very exciting. Um, Stover and I will have some breaking news um, coming up soon. Uh, we're working with a couple big media giants to produce it. So um, stay tuned for that. And then be sure to join us every Friday at 10 a.m. on Clubhouse, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse, where we uh, hopefully we can get Brian on one of those Clubhouse calls. So people that are listening to this podcast, another way to get involved. We love that you're curious. We want to keep finding ways to push you off the cliff to get you involved. And then that way you can actually ask for help. Brian, dude, you're a rock star. Um, I love watching what you're doing, whatever you need from us and our community. We're here to help support you and everything you're trying to accomplish, man. Um, thank you for being thank a great, you. thank you for being a vulnerable husband, a great husband, a great dad, a great leader, um, and a great friend. Well, Sean, thank you for creating a platform to pour good into the world. I've watched you as well. And that that's a two-way street, by the way, anything I can do to help you perpetuate your growth, your mission, say the word, it's not even a question. Since you said you and your community, I'm going to give one ask. I told you we won't get to a billion without collective impact. And so what you guys will notice if you follow, if you go to the website, and I want to be really clear here, this is not for vanity metrics, okay? You'll notice that I know and am very aware that to impact a billion lives, 99.9999999999999% will never pay us a dollar, and I am very okay with that. Those that lean in and choose to invest in themselves will substantiate the resources necessary to perpetuate that impact. Here's the thing, though. We create a ton of free content. To yep. genuinely elevate and empower. And if you consume any of it, you'll notice that 99% of it doesn't have any ask, doesn't have any direction where we're funneling people. We're not doing any of that stuff. We genuinely are putting stuff out to help. And so the reason I say that is if you see anything that you like, that resonates with you, that moves you, please like, comment, and share because the algorithms will help make sure that with more eyeballs and more ears can get it. Again, it's not about vanity metrics. Even if you don't share it on social and you just share it personally, I don't care. If it moves you though, move people, move people, and I need your help. I need your help to get to a billion. Please, I'm just asking if something moves you, pass it on. Make well, sure I'm gonna, somebody else can be moved. I'm going to do you one favor. There's a video that you made that I, it, it knocked me over because it was your story contextualized with news clippings from. Oh, dude, wait till you see oh, the full one. Oh, my <laughs> God. I, I'm literally in tears in my car because it's storytelling on a mass scale that add, it's not that you weren't credible before, but then when you add yourself as a kid and the reporters telling the yeah. story, I mean, it, it's a masterclass in media content and story. And we're going to put that video, whatever, the beginning of the video into the show That's notes. That's trailer. Yeah, let's do yes, that. Yes, the trailer. We're going to put the trailer in the show notes. And uh, please, if you listen to the podcast, if you do anything, um, please watch the video and, uh, and share it because uh, it'll, it'll be a big, Thank big you. help to- uh, Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much. And yeah, when this one drops, this is a part of our media company. We've got a really big initiative around this. Yes. So the full form it's on incredible. mine will release soon and, and you will be one to for sure be in the loop to understand what we're doing there. Unbelievable. But thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was, uh, I'll tell you that, that 90 seconds moved me and it's my own story, so. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's what we talk about. It's, it's way to repurpose content and it's the most powerful thing that I've seen, so. 
Um, I hope you you join us on a clubhouse to to dig more into Let's why, make you, it happen. why you Let's did make it, it how you did it, um, because it's it's what we teach everybody. It's how to become your own media company. And the, the, the easy answer for everybody is it's just a mindset. You just have to say, yes, I want to be a media company and you will be one. It is. Anytime I will join you. Let's make sure we coordinate that. Um, Perfect. Love to brother. And uh, awesome. we'll talk soon. Okay. All right, brother. Have a great one. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next week.